0: Amen. Amen. Listen, I think you're going to have a couple of minutes because I think I know what time my wife's going to get home. Um, and so I think you're going to have a couple of minutes to get home. Um, and if you have anything like me, you've made sure the house has been spick and spanned. But here's the deal. Sometimes we want our wives to feel really important and that we can't do without them. So I need you to go back to your house and mess it up a little bit and say, I tried to get everything that you get done, done, and I just don't know how you do it. And so I just want to say thanks for coming home uh, because it's been, no, really. Um, and make sure that you have the opportunity to, to talk to your wife about how the weekend went. Um, I was talking to mine this morning uh, and just very excited about some of the things that I heard and what's going on. And at the end of the day, you are going to grow in your relationship to Jesus to the degree that you want to grow in your relationship to Jesus. Do you want to get closer to God? It's going to be totally up to you. And in the course of events, um, we are in the book of James, and we're looking at what it means for us to continue to grow. And today I want to talk about the idea of mercy and what that is, okay? Because I believe that uh, significant to the teachings of James in the book of James, and James is the brother of Jesus, not John James, um, but uh, I, I believe that mercy is one of those um, cornerstone or foundational blocks that are in the teachings of, of, uh, of what he's trying to get across to the 12 tribes and the uh, Jewish people that be, had become Christians. He needs you to understand mercy because mercy covers everything else that he's doing in there. And I, I don't mean just your mercy. I mean, God's mercy to you and I ends up being something that is just in um, everything that that he teaches in the book of James. And so I want to look at this, this concept of mercy. We've all been there where we need mercy at some point. And um, so I I just want to say, hey, we're going to take a minute to do this. Now, I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm going to look in James chapter 2. If you've got your cell phone, you can go to Uversion and call up James chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses, uh, just five of them, um, verses 8 through 13. Those are the ones that we're uh, we're dealing with today. And I want you to look at, see, James packs, back in the day, they, they didn't like just have a post office box, so to speak. So they didn't just like write letters and do it. James has to say, I've got a little bit of paper. Okay. Paper would have not been like, just go to Walmart, and get some paper. It wasn't like that back then. Okay. So a little bit of paper, got some, I got a pen here to write with. I got to post the letter. I got to, so he's going to be very careful with his words. And you're going to look at these five verses and you're going to say, look how much James packs into these verses. But it wasn't like he wrote it and erased it and wrote it and erased it and wrote it and erased it. James sat down and in his linear thinking, which is kind of a foreign thing to me sometimes, uh, but in his linear thinking, he writes down exactly what he's trying to get across to you. And it's so, so, so important for you to grab a hold of all of these things. So let's just start in verse 8 of chapter 2. He says, If you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, and just for the record, okay? It's interesting to me that in all of the law of Moses, various parts of it are given different names, different titles, if you will. The part that says love your neighbor as yourself is considered the royal law by Jewish people 2,000 years ago. Okay? All right. So if you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you commit adultery, excuse me, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Okay, now we have another law. There's a law that gives freedom, okay, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anybody who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment, and it's that thought that I really want to kind of look at today. Um, it's, it, it, we'll, we'll just kind of jump into it. I appreciate the worship team grabbing that song um, for us this morning, um, God Desires Mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment, and, and that's just right straight out of the scripture, So when we gather together to sing spiritual songs, we're singing right out of the Scripture, and that's what we're looking at. So the first thing that James does is he says, let me just tell you something, okay? Okay. I want you to, to be doing good to everybody, but keep the royal law. And he tells us what that royal law is. And then he kind of moves into a, the next thing that I want to tell you real quick as I connect it to the royal law, that loving your neighbor as yourself is going to be about how on earth do you keep the whole law and not just one part or this part or that part. You cannot break it, the law of God, the law of Moses. Um, you can't break it up into a buffet. Okay? As a matter of fact, Paul tells us in the book of Romans that God kept adding laws and adding laws and adding laws so that we would sooner or later realize it's a taskmaster to teach us that we're sinners. Sooner or later, there's 613 commandments. So sooner or later, you're caught by one of them and you realize you need God. That's the whole point of the law is to bring us to that place. And so we recognize that it can't be separated out. Now, socially, Okay. Socially, um we recognize that in the book of Leviticus it lays out the law. In the law it says if you steal something, um then you have to give four times the value of what you stole back. If you kill somebody, then you have to be put to death. So we know that the law, okay, the Old Testament, the law of Moses, it it does in fact have a social aspect to it. But if we look at the whole, and I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say this to you, all sin is the same in, in the eyes of God. And see, nothing could be further than the truth than that. And that's usually somebody who's trying to get away with sin and wants you to stop talking to them about their sin. And the scripture tells us we're supposed to call each other out on our sin. We're supposed to. We're supposed to be in a relationship with one another so that you can talk to one another about it. Not so that we can beat each other up, but so that we can help people live in a parisos, a really uh, extreme a blessing sort of a life that God offers to us out of John 10.10, 10. okay? And so, so we look at this thing right here, and we say, there is the law, okay, that says um, um, that at the end of all ages, sin is going to be what sends people to hell. So in that aspect, in an eternal aspect, yes, all sin has the same end. It's not all the same, It all has the same end because socially it's different as we interact with each other. You don't take somebody who just lied to you and put them to death, right? But somebody who just put a bunch of people to death, you might put to death. So we see, okay, then all sin's not the same because God prescribed different things for each one of those sins. But when people say, all sin is the same in the sight of God. No, what we recognize as Christian people is the Bible does in fact say the wages of sin is death. We're going to look at that in a minute, but, but there it is, okay? Um, so we see that. But what we recognize is that there is a very real hell. And I, 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 in order to understand mercy, I have to understand the fact that there is a hell. Now, there are people, there are Christian people that I have met that will tell you that hell is not a real place, that it is an actual metaphor, and it's a, you know it just means that you're going through a tough time, or we're in a season of the life of humanity where there's wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of wars. Listen to me. I want to assure you that in my personal reading, 100% of the time that Jesus talked about hell, he was not talking about a metaphor. He was talking about a very real geographical place. He used metaphors to describe it. But listen, we recognize that the Bible says that there is a very real devil, a very real enemy of our soul. And that enemy of our soul was cast out of a very real heaven. He didn't say, metaphorically, something really bad happened in heaven and we cast something bad out of heaven. it. It's not a metaphor. It's a real being. I will, I will struggle to say angel because he lost that angelhood if there's such thing as angelhood. But he gets cast down. So Satan gets cast down. He's considered the prince of the power of the air. So he is a real being. And the scripture will tell you right now when you look it up that, that at the end of the age the devil, the accuser of men's soul and hell will be chained together and thrown into the lake of fire. You don't chain something up. I don't know the last time somebody chained up a metaphor and threw it into a lake of fire. You don't do it. It's a real thing. So when we begin to talk about mercy, we recognize that hell was created for the devil and his unholy angels, not for human beings. But because we chose to listen to the devil we bought into his eternity as well. When he said to Eve, surely God did not say. He didn't make her sin, but he did invite her to doubt God's word. And at that point, she began to go down a road that God didn't intend for humanity to go down. We were not supposed to go to hell. That's for the devil. And we can see that at the end of the whole book. But that's also why Jesus came and died for our sins, and in essence, He bought back. I mean, you understand that our sins not counted against us as Christian people because Jesus paid for it. He bought our sin. I was thinking about that this morning um, as, as I was preaching, and the Lord said, "It's a lot. It's a lot like a garage sale. You ever had a gra- You ever gone to a garage sale and seen everybody's garbage that they're trying to get rid of, and and, and they're selling it to you? Right? The devil is selling us his garbage." And we buy into it. Well, what about you and I when we end up as sinners and, and we are having our own garage sale and we're trying to get rid of our, our garbage and we're saying what? And Jesus is saying, hey, I'll buy your garbage. So, so you go to a garage sale or you have a garage sale and somebody comes to your garage sale and like, well, that's a really nice wagon, but it's only got three wheels. And you're like, yeah, I only want $10 for it. And they're like, but it's only got three wheels. Because you even think your garbage is worth something. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus bought your garbage. He bought it. He bought your junk at your yard sale. He bought your broken toys. He bought your broken life. The, the, The world is having a garage sale and it's selling you. And Jesus showed up and said, It's broken, but I see the value. And so he bought it from the law. And we're going to continue to press into that concept of mercy. The scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is that he bought us back the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus. You know, there's people that think that hell is going to be all about, you know, well, hey, you know, uh, you ever been around bikers enough? I, I spent 40 years on a, on, a, on a motorcycle, and it's like you get around bikers like, well, we're all going to go to hell together then. And it's like, but you're not. Sinners are not going to go to hell together. They're not all going to hang out in, in hell and say, well, I wish we would have been good. Because it's not about being good. It's about walking in the teachings by trusting in the blood of Jesus. It's not about being perfect the way you understand the word perfect. It's about chasing after Jesus. And when you do sin, get back up. Because if we sin... If we're faith, excuse me, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins. So we recognize, John says in, in the book of 1 John, he says, that if we walk with Jesus, we won't sin. And then I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I'm gone. And then the next thing he says, but if we do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus of Christ. Because his blood covers it all. And that's not permission to keep sinning. It's permission to get back up and keep moving forward. See, You entered a relationship with Jesus that set you on a journey. You didn't get a ticket out of hell, therefore do whatever you want. So we're walking with God. That's why we always ask people as they come in, are your feet pointed toward the cross and are you walking in that direction? Because you're going to struggle with your humanity. You are. But we want to teach you to continue to grow. We want to grow with you as we continue to grow. And so we, rec- we look at James, and he's talking about the fact that there's this law, this, this um, royal law and this other law, And there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament that we recognize are the law of Moses, 613. And he says that if you break one of those things, then you've broken them all. And the law is things like this. Don't mate different kind of animals. Quit trying to breed giraffes and sharks. Don't do it, okay? Just don't do it. It's like, what? It's like, I don't know. But it's there. Somebody was trying to do something off the wall something crazy. And God said, all right, stop trying. I I made the, the, the pygmy hippopotamus and I made the elephant. Stop trying to breed them together. Don't do that. What were these people doing that God had to write that in the law? Okay, what about this? Don't plant your field with two kinds of seeds. This is all in the book of Leviticus. It's part of the law. Don't do it Don't wear clothing made of two different kinds of materials. Now, they didn't know anything about polyester back then, okay? So, you know, we got to come to, they didn't have like fleecy shirts back then. So we got to come to terms with that. But at the same time, God said, don't do that. And you think, why? Why does it matter that I have a cotton shell and a wool lining? I don't know. But I can tell you this. What God was doing back then, He was doing so that you would have a parisos life, an abundant life. And chasing after Him and doing what is said is more important than understanding the why, because I trust the person that called me to it. I trust God. I'm not saying He's going to give me everything I want. What I'm saying is, I know that He is always working for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purposes. I know that. And so, can I trust him? Because that same law also says you can't eat pork. And I didn't mind the other ones, but you know, now you're kind of cutting in on the barbecue. And it's like, Lord, but what about barbecue? They didn't have barbecue back then, okay? And I married into a family, a farm family, and I got to work for them for a long time, and we had 250 hogs. We did. Okay, listen, pigs 5,000 years ago were outside and wild, and they pigs eat everything. Pigs eat poop, pigs eat corn, pigs eat plants, pigs eat other pigs, and they really do. Pigs will eat other pigs. They'll do it. It's nasty, it's gross, it's awful. And I know that years and years and years ago, that pigs was one of the filthiest, most nasty things that you could eat because they were so disease-ridden with worms and ringworms and pinworms and they're they walking around in poop and eating the poop and they're, they're getting, it's, it's, they were just nasty animals. And so God puts it in the law, don't eat pigs. And the reason that, I I mean, I can see that one. The reason he did that is because he didn't want you sick. When God said, wash your hands before you eat, when God said, take a bath and cleanse yourself, when God said, you know, if you see things showing up on you, wash it really good so many times and present yourself. When God began to do what we call cleanliness laws, that part of the law that was about cleanliness, he set Israel way up here from all of the other people that were eating everything and doing Everything and rolling in everything and all they they suddenly lived longer, were healthier, and they were having a Parisos life. I can see that. And so what I recognize is that God creates a law, and that law is there, and even though the law was there to teach me that I'm a sinner, it still was there to invite me to be obedient to God. And James says: if you break one of those 613 commandments, you've broken all of it. And I've been wrestling with that for years, trying to understand it. And a metaphor popped into my head. I'm not going to spill these. But our, our assistant stand-in substitute children's director was able to get me this this morning. And this is a jar of marbles. And if you can just use your imagination for a second. Imagine that there's 613 marbles in here. Right? And you take one out and you break it. And I say, you broke the law. And you say, no, I only broke one. Here's the deal this is the law. This is one aspect of the law. But this is the law. So if I take one out, by taking one out, I've already violated the whole thing because it's supposed to have 613 in it. So it's violated. You say, I know, but I only took one. Doesn't matter. You violated this because it's not whole without 613. Okay, now it's only got 612. You say, oh. So when James says, if you don't do this, but you do do this, you still violated this. See? This is how we can be guilty of the law by breaking one part of it but we're guilty of breaking the whole thing because it's not whole anymore when we do it. And that made all the sense in the world to me when I was playing with it in my head, and it makes even more sense when I hold it and I I walk through it. And that's what James is trying to tell us. We have little to no ability to remove the sin or the stench of sin from our lives. We can't get rid of it. It's not possible. And so Jesus came and died for your sins because he's the only one that can get rid of it. And he gets rid of it forever, as far as the east is from the west. And not only that, but he took um, 613 commandments, broke them all the way down to two, and got rid of 611. And he didn't just say, these don't matter anymore. He said, these are the two that matter, and these two are summed up of all of those. So if you focus on these two, and we recognize that the new covenant that you and I are under was born out of the old covenant, and James is saying it's born out of mercy. Hear, O Israel, it says in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord our God is one Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay? Okay? That's love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And then in Leviticus 19 it says, don't seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So even there, we recognize that the the new covenant in Jesus Christ is born out of the two commandments that we see in the book of uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And there it is right there. And it's an invitation to understand that everything else is summed up out of these two things. And that's where we're chasing after. He takes that 613 commandments, shrinks it down to two. and, And we have this story in the book of Matthew where it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now, if I could just really quickly let you know that, if I can make up a word, a, a religio-political group is going on here, okay? Because um, Israel is a theocracy, and so as Israel is the theocracy, they're they're controlled mainly by two parties, and, and with all due respect to everybody in here, okay, um, you, can, you can look at these two and say, hey, it's like the Democrats and the Republicans are going at each other, okay? The Sadducees do not believe that there is a resurrection. They believe that this is the only thing that there is to life, so eat, drink, and and party, because tomorrow we die. Just be good people. The Pharisees, on the other hand, are ultra-conservative, and they're like, no, there is a resurrection. There is an afterlife. It does matter, and so we're going to be super, super, super over here and make sure that you don't even pick up a stick on Sunday, or else we have to stone you to death, okay? It's it's, it's that bad, and so that's what's going on. So hearing that Jesus had silenced This community over here, the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is the one that you are to cling to. Are you even hungry for God this morning? And then he goes on to say, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbors, yourself, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And there they are for you and I right now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And in the book of Deuteronomy, it told us, listen, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And when you're with your children, when you're walking on the road, and what does that mean for you and I? It means that when you are going to work, when you are hanging out with your kids, you know, I me. Mean, so many children, uh, uh, even as adult children, will come to me and say, well, I've never had a conversation with my parents about their faith. I've never had a conversation with my parents about their struggles, about their sins, about their, all, all their things. Here's the deal. God told the children of Israel, which I believe is for you and I today too, that we still need to be doing this, and that is walk with your children and tell them what God is saying. Tell them what God is doing. Tell them what God said. Explain to them. We shouldn't be afraid of the world that you and I live in with all its wokeness and everything that's going on. You and I should not be afraid to say, hey, it it just needs to be grounded in Scripture. This is what's going on in the world, and we don't throw rocks at people, but this is why we don't do what they do. Because we love God and he told us to do this instead. And so this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to love on people. We're going to help people. We're going to stand up for truth. We're not going to back down. But at the same time, we're not swinging ball bats and throwing rocks. We're just saying, I hear what you say, but this is the truth. And sinners don't have to follow Jesus. They don't but if we're going to say we follow Jesus, we ought to know what it says. And God says that since we know what it says, we should be talking to our children. We should be having those difficult conversations with them and grounding the answers in scripture. What does the Bible say? It should never be dad or mom. It should never be because I said so. I'm not saying there's not a time that you're like, get in the car. Why? Because I said so. There's a time for that. Okay. But when kids come to you and they say, hey, what's this all about? You say, hey, let me talk to you about Jesus a little bit. But here's also the thing. They need to see your Jesus on Monday, not Sunday. They need to see him on Tuesday, not Sunday. They need to see him on Wednesday, not Sunday. They can come with you on Sunday, but they need to see you expressing it when you walk out of here because they're going to do what you did, not what you said. And if you don't believe me, you just wait till you got kids of your own. Would your grandma say that to you? And suddenly you start seeing and hearing yourself come out of their mouth. And you're like, Did I? Do I? Can I? Wow. And so there it is. Undoubtedly, one of the greatest examples of mercy that's recorded in the scripture of Jesus is in the book of John for us to remember this particular situation. In the book of John it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and Jesus said to the woman, uh, Jesus said, excuse me, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, just so you know, that's not true. That's not true. You see, super religious people will always be taking the scripture and twisting it just a little tiny bit to make it say what they want. The law in the book of Deuteronomy says, stone the woman and the man. They said it says to stone the woman, and the man's not present. You see what's going on here? Don't be surprised. Because you read the scripture, you know what the Old Testament is, and you see what these li- liars are saying to Jesus as they're trying to make him conform to their pattern of religion. And Jesus saying it's about a relationship, not a religion. Okay? It says that both of them are supposed to be stoned in the book of Deuteronomy. Okay? And then so they went on and said, so what do you say? And they were using this as a question to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. the only reason they wanted to accuse him was so that they could murder him, so they could kill him. But Jesus said, you're not going to murder me. It was for this purpose that I came. I came to be killed for your sins, but it's it's not my time yet. He didn't say it here, okay? He says it later. Okay, and so we recognize this. They want to accuse him because they want him dead, all right? So Jesus bent down and he began to write in the ground with his finger. We don't know what he was writing. You can you can guess. I have some ideas. I think it was tic tac toe, but all the things. Okay, he he was writing in the dirt. But they kept on hounding him. They kept on questioning him. It says, It says when they kept on questioning him. Come on, Lord, what are you going to say? What are you going to do about this? This woman's got to be stoned. We've all got our rock. We're all here. What are you going to do? Moses said to do this. Are you going to say no? Come on, come on, pastor. Come on, religious guy. Come on, leader. Stand up and tell us what to do. They wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus and so it says right here they kept on questioning him so Jesus straightens up and said to them let any one of you that is standing here without sin be the first to throw a stone at her and then it goes and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this pay attention at this those who heard began to go away one at a time the old ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And Jesus straightened up again, and he asked her, and he said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, and it's important that you read this. Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. The book of John, chapter 3, verse 17, very clearly says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. That's what it says. That's verbatim. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. The only thing that matters in this room right here, go into your ears, is what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? That is literally the only thing that matters. And the Bible says Jesus did not come down here to condemn anybody. God did not send Jesus down here to condemn anybody. Jesus is not condemning anybody. The time will come when he will judge the world and all that are in it and have lived in it. But right now, he desires that people get saved. That people come to know him as their Lord and Savior. And so he tells this woman, hey, here's the deal. I'm not condemning you. Now go leave your life of sin. And there's a place for you and I to stop and say, what is God asking me to let go of as I move from here? Now, what Jesus, Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't see Joe Wood and come and sit down with him and say, listen, I think you're struggling here because you, know, you, you claim to walk with Jesus, but you know, you're gossiping and being mean and nasty to people. And I say, oh, I need to repent of that. That's appropriate. The, t- the Bible tells us to do that. But this is a group of people that are going to condemn somebody to death and to hell. And we don't have permission to do that. We don't get to decide who gets saved. We don't. We get to be a people that share the gospel of Jesus Christ and share the truth and invite people to come away from sin. But remember, it's a journey. And so as we come away from sin, we continue to walk toward the cross and we find out, oh wait a minute, I have other sin in my life. I gotta work on and then oh wait a minute, I got a little more, or then I fell back. But the whole idea here is that when we find out that we've sinned, we get back up and we keep moving forward. Because God loves us so desperately. Neither do I condemn you, he said. Now go and leave your life of sin. Let me do this real quick so that we can wind this up and get home to our wives who are finally home or pretty close to it. When I was a little kid, I was probably in the fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade, 1970, 71. I lived in Spain just off the base outside of Madrid. And uh, I was going home from school one day, and behind the school was, I'll make this short, was a big barn full of pigeons, and people in Europe revere revere pigeons, so just leave the pigeons alone. We walked into this barn, my buddy and I, and and the whole up, there was a million pigeons in there, it looked like, if there was one. Obviously, there wasn't quite that many, but this this whole barn, the walls, the floor, literally the floors, everything was a pigeon nest with boxes created with lumber pidge thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pigeons in this bank barn. And so we saw these squabs. This is a squab. This is what a squab looks like. Okay. Those weren't the ones they've since passed on from this earth. Uh, I was only 10 or 11. So it's been a few years. But we took three of those, four of those things with us in an apple crate and headed home. We were going to raise them up. Just who knows what for. I don't know what five uh, fifth-grade boys are thinking. It's just an animal to have and play with. And so we took it home. But we got chased around the neighborhood, like being over in the Hidden Hills housing development. And the, and the police were chasing us around literally with machine guns and little cars and patent leather boots. They wear machine guns over there during that time period, during the time period of Franco, the way our officers carry a sidearm. Their sidearm was a machine gun. And they wore capes and real high leather, patent leather boots and three-cornered hats. And uh, they were very impressive and very scary. So the long and the short of it is we got copied these guys and, and told that we had to go to the police station. And it was a Spanish police station, so we didn't know how to speak Spanish, even though we were on base in Spain. And so my mom got somebody to go with us. Oh, by the way, it just happened to be the, the, the night of my first Holy Communion. How, how'd that go over well? Um, but anyway, that being said, you know, I'm going to be all holy when I'm done with this night. Um, and so we had to go to the police station. And here's the deal. We get to the police station. And the uh, the officer talks to the lady that's interpreting, and he just basically says, boys will be boys. Tell them to knock it off. They don't want to end up back here. See you later. Go. Well, I'm standing there, you know, with what I described a police officer looking for in that era. And I thought, we're probably going to get, you know, shot, put up against the wall, and you know. Uh, It's like, that's probably what's going to happen. I'm a fifth-year-old, fourth-grade, fifth-grade kid. You know, it's like, who knows what's going to happen? And it's like, there we are. So then I went to my first Holy Communion, and I got all holy and everything, and it was great. And I, you know, didn't have a clue what I was doing then. To some degree, I don't now. But here's the deal. I'm in that police station, and in the midst of my sin, the commandant doesn't offer me justice. Justice is, I stole the pigeons. I need to pay the farmer back even though he got his pigeons back. Justice is, I got to do a little community time. Justice is, I have to pay for what I did. That's justice. Justice is getting what you deserve. And you and I know that we all, in all reality, as much as we like to think we're not as bad as the next person, we all deserve hell. That's what we deserve. But we don't want justice what we'd like to have is mercy and mercy is not getting what you do deserve and that's what I got that night in that police station I received mercy from that officer he said boys will be boys listen don't do it again he didn't want to bring judgment down on me he didn't want me to experience justice he wanted me to receive mercy and to change my ways. You and I love mercy. It is through God's mercy that you and I inherit eternity, become part of the family, and we don't deserve it. But what we really relish is grace. And grace is actually getting what you don't deserve. So we didn't deserve mercy, but Jesus gave us mercy in order to not give us justice. We don't want justice, because if we get justice, we all go to hell. You ever had been around that child? Maybe you were that child. That's not fair. You been around that child? That's not fair. Mom, Dad, that's not fair. It's like, do you want fair? I had one do that to me with my daughter who was in high school. He was just entering high school. And he said, that's not fair. You don't treat me like you do Jesse. I said, all right. Jesse wears a dress to school every day. You want to wear a dress? He said, no. I said, so you don't want to be treated like Jesse? He said, no. I said, okay. Then let's just say that we're done doing that. Okay? The fair comes to town once a year. Fair goes out and went out in the garden. You and I don't want justice. We thank God for his mercy that casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. That's, that's a scripture, straight out of scripture. But more than that, we have been blessed to inherit the grace of God, which means we have a future, an eternity, a family, and the power of God through his Holy Spirit residing inside of us right now to move the kingdom of God forward. And that's what we're after. When James says, mercy triumphs over judgment, he is pointing towards the grace of eternity. And that's what we're after. I'm not gonna read that last passage. I wanna just share this with you real quick. Mercy triumphs over, over judgment today what's the condemnation that you feel on you James tells us that that judgment without mercy will be shown to anybody who's not merciful who do you need to be merciful to and whose condemnation is falling on you that's making you feel uncared for unloved and rejected because that's not God God wants you to let go of that because he desires for you to give mercy and he desires for you to receive mercy he desires that and so I want to encourage you in that today Who? who needs mercy now let me just say this real quick have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior I'm not asking if you've accepted him a lot of people accept him and then they fall away because he doesn't work for them like he's supposed to if you surrender to Jesus if you surrender your life to Jesus you get up from that prayer and you begin to say what do you want from me Lord rather than you need to do this for me Lord you see the difference there it's subtle but it's real it's real I think it separates the sheep from the goats. And I want to encourage you to take thought. It's surrendering our life to Jesus as his bride that we're going to spend eternity with him that's, that enters us into this relationship and journey with him that calls us Christians. It's not a ticket out of hell. It's a journey into heaven. And I want to encourage you in that. Let's come to our feet. We're going to do this closing song and, and then we're going to bounce. But if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you would like to this morning, could, could you come up here so we can just pray with you? I'm not going to ask you to say anything in a microphone or anything like that. But if you would like to surrender your life to Jesus this morning, you want to receive that mercy, but not just the mercy, you want the grace that comes with it. I, I want to invite you to come on up over here. If you're struggling with being merciful to somebody that you don't believe deserves mercy then I would like for you to come over here I want to encourage you in that Okay, now I need somebody on the prayer team to come on over here because this young man is going to surrender his life to Jesus and we're going to celebrate I I don't know about you because I'm just the pastor here but you're sitting there going well look there Somebody went up to surrender his life to Jesus. And I'm inside here going, yes! Somebody surrendered his life to Jesus! Because the scripture says, heaven cuts loose with a party when this happens. And I'm here for the party, not to be all Gretchen Wilson on anybody, but I am here for the party, okay? And I'm surrendering both of these people that are surrendering their life to Jesus. So I need another prayer person over here, please. And we want to celebrate that. And I will pray with you. If you are having problems sharing mercy with somebody that you know needs you to let go of them, I want to pray for you over here. We want to pray for you over here. Okay? But let's just come into a time of prayer. And any time during this song, you can come up here to be prayed for, and somebody will appear behind you. They will. And they will not scare you or terrify you. We are here to meet Jesus. But let's just celebrate what God is doing in this place, in this time. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you and we praise you for the grace and the blood and the love of Jesus Christ that brings to us the gospel of your love. um, The psalmist said, God, we thank you and praise you for the understanding that we are sinners and we need to let go of our lives and we need to put them in your hands and say, what do you want us to do as Christian students? What do you want us to do as Christian business owners? What do you want us to do as Christian spouses? What do you want us to do as Christian singles? What do you want us to do, God, as Christian people moving the kingdom forward upon this planet? And how can we bring the gospel to bear where we are called to go? God, as they surrender their lives, my prayer is that you fill them up to overflowing. Holy Spirit, your word says that in the moment we believe, we were sealed on this very subject, this very thought, this very thing. And God, I pray that you would seal them with the presence of your spirit to move them and empower them, to give them dreams and visions. Father, your word says that I will pour out my spirit on your sons and on your daughters, and your young men will dream dreams, and your old men will have visions, your, young men, or your old men will dream dreams, your young men will uh, have visions, whatever that is, and I pray that you would pour it into these lives right here, God, that even your sons, your word says, that your sons and your daughters will prophesy, will preach, will proclaim, the gospel of God's love, and that you raised your son from the dead. God, we speak against any evil, any darkness in their lives, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill it up. We say, come, Holy Spirit, to the enemy. We say, go. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the joy of who you are in this place. In Jesus' name we say,